Hey, uh, good to be with you this morning. Um, yeah, I appreciate Wes. One of the first things that you know, uh, notice about Wes when you meet him, besides his perpetually good hair day that he always seems to have, beyond that is that, is that you just know, you know that he loves his family, you know that he loves Jesus, and it comes out that he loves you. And so it's a, it's a pleasure for me as his friend to get to be here uh, with you. As Wes has said, I am uh, the lead pastor at Central Baptist Church, been there for two and a half months, uh, following in the wake of another great Dunbar alumni, uh, Barton Preeb. Before that, I was uh, lead pastor of Mountainside Community Church in Fernie for 17 years, uh, which coincidentally is the same length of time that you guys have been in the book of Matthew. Um, so I get to bring that to a close uh, today. Um, which is, uh, which is my pleasure. Um, hopefully we don't end with a whimper, but we'll, 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 bring it, we'll bring it home today. So if you have your Bible, if you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 28. And we'll begin reading in verse 18, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I am convinced that many Christians are like Jason Bourne from the Bourne movies. You know Jason Bourne, Matt Damon, um, albeit with a little bit less hand-to-hand combat. But, but if you know the show, Jason Bourne suffers amnesia, and he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his story. But there are all these clues that he is caught up in something much bigger than himself. Like he can reflexively just dismantle a handgun in like four seconds and he can outdrive Mario Andretti and he can defeat a knife-wielding assassin with just a rolled-up Vancouver sun. So there's clearly more to Jason Bourne than meets the eye. And all of these unique abilities and instincts in him coupled with the fact that there are these dark forces that are hell-bent on destroying him, are all huge hints that he is part of something bigger than he knows. And his task is to discover the truth of who he is, his true identity, to figure out who, who that is. And that's kind of like us. Like as followers of Jesus, our task is also to figure out who we are. And just like Jason Bourne, there are some unique things inside of us that suggest that you and I are also caught up in something bigger than our 21st century, you know, middle-class Canadian story. For example, some of you have these amazing abilities that got downloaded into you after you became a Christian. Like perhaps you have the ability to kind of see through the white noise. You can see into um, people's lives and discern hurts and root causes of their struggle, and you can help them heal. 
We call that a spiritual gift. And it's actually a clue that you were made for a bigger story. Or perhaps some of you know that experience where you've been in another part of the world and you encounter a Christian from another culture. Maybe they're from a different generation. Perhaps they speak a different language. And they may be the polar opposite from you in every cultural way. But the moment that you discover that you're both Jesus followers, suddenly there is this magnetic closeness. There is this affinity. There is this connection that runs so deep, you have this bond, this feeling of family. That is a clue to who you are. And one of the biggest clues that you have been caught up in a story much bigger than yourself is found here in Matthew 28. That the one who has all authority commissions us out in his name to go make disciples. And he instructs us to immerse people, to baptize them into their new identity, which is Trinity. Their new identity, which is triune. By that I mean, we're not baptized into Jesus' name only. We're not baptized into just God. We are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that is not just three ways of saying the same thing. Each one of those names carries a distinct theological declaration of your renewed identity that emerges from that name. And so together, it is your baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that define who you are. So there's aspects of your personhood and your spiritual identity that comes from being immersed in the Father into whose purposes you have now been adopted. He, he has made you a child. He has given you a new name. You are now part of his spiritual family, which is distinct from the son, our king who, who came and he said he came not to be served, but to serve. And so the same spirit that empowered Jesus to serve God's purposes empowers us to do likewise. And we call those spiritual gifts and they're used to serve the body of Christ. And because every Christ follower has um, at least one of the gifts, because every Christ follower is a servant. And so if you're a Christ follower, at the core of your identity, in the core of your spiritual DNA, you're a child of the Father, you're a servant of the Son, and I wish I had more time to unpack both of those things, but I want to actually focus on who you are as a result of the third person of the Trinity, as a result of the Holy Spirit, and being immersed in his name. Because there's a third aspect to your identity that's tied directly to him, and this is the one that we tend to shy away from. And we do that at great consequence to ourselves and to others. So to kind of unpack that and to walk you through who you are, as a result of the Holy Spirit, I want you to turn over to John's gospel. Turn over to John 15 with me. And we read in verse 26, Jesus says this, When the counselor comes, 
the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. So here, Jesus lets us know that the Spirit's job is to testify about Jesus. That means his job is to point to Jesus, to illuminate and reveal Jesus. And his efforts to do this in the world is tethered to us, which is why Jesus says, you also will testify, suggesting that this testifying about Jesus is a partnership enterprise between the Holy Spirit and Jesus' disciples. Then if you flip over to, to John 16, in verse 7, Jesus pulls back the curtain a little bit more on the Spirit's role. And Jesus says this, It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So here we discover that a key part of the Spirit's action is actually toward those who do not yet know Jesus. They do not believe in Christ. They don't understand what God has done to pay for our sins, to gift us Jesus' righteousness, to, to spare us from the coming judgment of sin. And so the Spirit's job is to convict and to convince the um, people of the gospel. And so Jesus says, in effect... Once I have secured salvation for you, it's better that I go. Because when I go, I will send the one whose job it is to open the eyes and open the hearts towards me and my salvation. And so this is the Spirit's primary job description, is to supernaturally intersect people and to convict them of what they have done, and convict them of what Jesus has done on their behalf through his death and resurrection. And so he turns the spotlight on Jesus so that more people benefit from God's grace made available to us through the gospel. And so you could say this. The Holy Spirit is a missionary that is sent by the Father to testify to the world about Jesus. That's what he's tasked to do. Therefore, as people who are immersed in the name of the Spirit, we too are missionaries that are sent and empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus and his gospel. And that's not just a task we're called to, it's an essential aspect of who we are. And this becomes even more clear in Jesus' teaching on the Spirit after he rose from the dead. Um, following that first Easter, um, when salvation had been secured and Jesus had been resurrected, Jesus tells his disciple what the next chapter in the gospel story is going to look like. And he says this in John 20, verse 21. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me. 
to the same ends, to seek and save the lost, I send you. As the Father sent me on the same mission, that whomever should believe in me would not perish, but have everlasting life, I send you, so go make disciples. As the Father sent me in the same power, I send you, so he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so if you are a disciple of Christ, you are Jesus's missionary sent with the Spirit to demonstrate and declare the good news of Jesus. And the Spirit is tasked to empower us to that end. Because we're going to need him if we're going to be successful. And this is why Jesus told his first disciples just before his ascension, after his resurrection, just before his ascension, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait, right? Don't start preaching. Don't start planting churches. Go and wait, Acts 1.8, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You see, all throughout Jesus' teaching, the giving of the Spirit And the call and the identity as witnesses of Jesus are linked together. You cannot separate them from each other. And so the Spirit is given to fill and anoint Jesus' disciples so that we can declare and demonstrate who Jesus is and what he's done. So that the witness of Jesus gets dispersed out everywhere we go. It's not limited to 10.30 on a Sunday here at Dunbar. It gets taken out to university campuses and spin classes and offices and neighborhoods. Wherever we go, the witness of Jesus is meant to go as well. Therefore, all the relational connections represented in this room carry the spiritual potential of gospel life because you are empowered by the Spirit to demonstrate and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see is that this is a key component of your identity. This isn't just for the extroverts or the sevens on the Enneagram. Right? This isn't just for those who have the spiritual gift of evangelism or those who are particularly bold among us. This calling, this identity is true of everyone who calls Jesus Lord. Um, Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher from another age uh, who has never been known to pull his punches, uh, he said this, quote, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I think what he's trying to get at in his not-so-subtle declaration is that this is so central to our Trinitarian identity that if you don't actually see yourself as part of Jesus' mission, then you're faking your identity. You might be living a kind of a pseudo-cultural Christian identity. You might be living out of a super lame, kind of boring Sunday Christian identity, but not the identity the Spirit of God gives to Jesus' disciples. Uh, Jeff Vanderstel, uh, he nails it. He says this, quote, Everywhere you go, Whatever you do, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to love like Jesus, to overcome sin like Jesus, 
proclaim the gospel like Jesus, and to see people's lives changed by the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are always on mission. Every part of your life, every activity and event is part of Jesus' mission to make disciples. We are all missionaries. That's part of our identity. right? Not all of us are good at it, but that's who we are. And so this is what Christ's followers are propelled out to do. As the Father sent me, I am now sending you. So go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this commission from Jesus has kind of rolled through the ages. It keeps moving forward. And and like a snowball that's going downhill, it has grown and, and gotten larger and picked up momentum over time. In fact, you and I are here because somebody at another generation believed who they were and lived into their identity as being on mission. So the people of God, we are meant to be this life-giving, gospel-advancing, perpetual disciple-making machine. That's what we do because that's who we are. Now, There is something doubly beautiful about the Spirit's empowering to make us witnesses. There's something really magnetic and wonderful about what the Spirit does to make us a witness. The Spirit's efforts don't consist on just trying to give you enough courage to squeak out Jesus' name in a conversation. That's not what he's trying to do. Nor is his goal to to make you feel so guilty about your lack of witness that you'll drop that little nugget that you go to church sometime in a conversation so that you can say, okay, I did it. I dropped the church word. Get the spirit off my back. Check. That's not what the spirit's role is. Guilt-driven witnessing usually leads to really awkward interactions, right? Doesn't it? or really cheesy canned conversation starters that go really bad, I know because I've done all of them. Hey, I'm Sean. Oh, you're Stephen. Nice to meet you, Stephen. Did you know there was a guy in the Bible named Stephen? He was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? He's like, I just want to get coffee, weirdo. Like, leave me alone, right? Sometimes we think if we can just muster enough boldness to steer a conversation to God as awkwardly as we get there, or if we just believe enough in our convictions that somehow the weight of our conviction will pave the way forward for us to be a witness toward Jesus. Um, I remember a few years back, I had this stark lesson (laughs) that being an effective witness requires more than boldness and knowledge. Um, I was on the ski hill in Fernie, and I got onto the chairlift. I was in the singles line, and this other guy was on the singles line, and we both got on the chairlift at the same time. And I kid you not, the, the bar had not even come down before the guy turned to me, introduced me, uh, told me his name, and asked me if I had life insurance. And he's like, uh, so who's your carrier? What's your premium? Do you have extra coverage for accidental 
death, what's your total coverage? Are you happy with your coverage? Do you know that we could subsidize your coverage to a tune of a million dollars for only 50 bucks a month? And so for the next 10 minutes, this guy went on this well-rehearsed spiel of why I need more life insurance. And I kid you not, halfway up the chairlift, I was like analyzing the depth of the snow to see if maybe I could hurl myself off to just get away from this guy, maybe cash in my life insurance policy. Um, I wish I had enough foresight to turn the tables and ask the guy if he had eternal life insurance. <laughs> but I didn't. I wasn't, I wasn't that smart. Um, but but here's, here's my point. This guy was passionate about life insurance. He knew the topic front to back. He even seemed to believe sincerely in the benefit for me. But I would never, ever, ever buy life insurance from that guy. Because it became clear from the first moment that he didn't give a rip about me. All he cared about was making his pitch, making his spiel, and closing a deal. Now why am I telling you this? Because you're a witness to Jesus, the Spirit's work in your life to make you a witness, to, to empower you into your identity, isn't defined by guilting you to open your mouth so that you utter something about sin and a cross or giving you a little caffeine you know, shot of boldness so that you Jesus somebody. The beautiful thing about the Spirit's work to make you an effective witness is that he is first and foremost working to help you fall more in love with Jesus. He wants you to love Jesus the way the Father does, the way that he does. One of the most beautiful declarations in Scripture comes from Romans 5, 5, where Paul says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through how? the Holy Spirit. You see, lovers of Jesus, they outwitness double XL guilt-driven evangelists every time. So when you say yes to the leading of the Spirit into your identity as a witness for Jesus, you simultaneously find new channels of affection for Jesus being opened up in your heart you'll find the Spirit working and kindling new love, greater love for Jesus. Because lovers of Jesus outwitness guilt-driven evangelists every time. Because when you love him that much, you want other people to love him. You want other people to meet him. You want other people to know him and see him the way that you see him. You want to introduce Jesus to the people you care about. Like... I love introducing people to my wife. I love it. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because I love her immensely. I'm incredibly proud of her, her mind, her personality, her character. And I also love when I introduce people to my wife for the very first time. This thing happens every time. And there's kind of a cloud of confusion that comes over their face. And their eyes go from her to me, from her over to me again. And I know exactly what they're thinking. Like, how did this guy land that girl? That's exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking there's got to be more to him. He must have a trust fund or something. Um, I don't, by the way. <laughs> um, I love introducing people to my wife because being connected to her makes me appear more than I am, but more than that. 
I love introducing my wife to people because I know that she's worth knowing. I know it's a gift to these people to, to have her in their life. And so it's not a tedious obligation to introduce Kimberly to people. It's just the opposite. In the same way, friends, when your heart's affections for Jesus are growing and the love of God is coursing through the deepest parts of your being, being on mission moves from drudgery or duty to a delight, actually. And people who say yes, who take seriously the call to be witnesses of Jesus and intentionally join his mission, find their love for him sprinkled with miracle grow because the spirit is now unquenched. You see, when you say no to your calling as a witness, you are quenching the direction of the spirit in your life and you are simultaneously quenching his work to rekindle new affections for Jesus. They come together. They go together. And so if your love for Jesus is stale, I bet you any money your mission for Jesus is too. But as our love for Jesus grows, mission moves from this guilt thing that I should probably tell somebody sometime, somewhere about Jesus sometime, to this reflex of love that spills out of us to the people around us in a way that just, not weird ways, but natural ways just illustrate the good news of the gospel. And when your love for Jesus and your love for others is channeled by the Spirit into being a witness, something Jason Bourne-like comes alive in you. Um, I'll always remember Nikki. Uh, Nikki was this bright girl. She had like sky-high aspirations. And she had the right mix of like brains and charm and ambition to pull off her aspirations. And then right in the middle of university, Nikki got pregnant. And who she thought was Mr. Right decided she was now Miss Wrong and like fled the scene. And Nikki found herself as a single mom with a beautiful little boy, but no life script to follow. In fact, she'd fallen off the map that she had been kind of drawn for herself for her whole life. And alone, her world suddenly got really, really small and the walls closed in on her and her lofty vision was now gone and she could hardly see behind, but hardly see beyond the next government assistant check. And I heard about her and kind of her situation and her need through a mutual friend, and I felt compassion for her, and I, I helped her out with some bills that she was struggling to pay, and we went for coffee uh, a couple of times, and there was kind of a connection uh, between us. And after um, a few coffees, I asked her about her story, and she kind of told me kind of what was going on in her life and her upbringing. And, and that next coffee, she asked me about mine and my story. And because it's impossible to understand me without understanding something about Jesus and his story, I talked a little bit about him. And the Spirit was working, and she wanted to hear more, and she was asking more and more questions that were not about me, but were about Jesus. And so I talked to her about why I love Jesus and why I believe Jesus loves me. And in a moment of unusual boldness, 
I asked her if she wanted to surrender her life to him and his vision for her life. And with tear-filled eyes, she said yes. And right there in a crowded coffee shop in Regina with everybody around us turning and watching this weird scene that was taking place, she prayed to accept Jesus, the first person I ever got to introduce to him. And I will never, ever forget that moment for as long as God gives me life because it was one of the high points like, I felt in that moment that something came alive in me, that I had tapped into ultimate reality about what really mattered, that the, the, the supernatural work that God was doing, watching faith ignite right in her heart, right before my eyes, and I got to play this tiny little part in it. And hear me, I have done a lot of really cool things in my life. I have a really pretty epic adventure resume of stuff that I've done to kind of feel alive, but nothing, nothing compares to that experience. Why is that? Because at the core of my spiritual DNA, I'm a son of the Father, I'm a servant of Jesus the King, and I am a missionary sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known, and so are you. So friends, you will never know who you really are, who, who God recreated you to be, who God dreamed you up and empowered you to be and poured his spirit into you to be. You will not know the depths of the, of the spirit's heart igniting work in you if you do not open yourself up to the mission that you were made for. You'll never tap into Trinitarian-sized joy that comes from being used by the Spirit to help somebody meet the Son and be reborn into the Father's family unless you accept that you're a missionary, you're an ambassador. This is not just a calling or a duty. This is who you are. And so, may the Spirit in whose name we are baptized, in whose mission we are sent, pour his love into our hearts and lead you to love those to whom you are sent and may he use you to illuminate Jesus Christ to those around you. Amen.